Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. This is the Spin This Podcast. There are many like it, but this one is ours. The Spin This Podcast is my best friend. It is my life. I must master podcasting as I must master my life. Without me, without, <laughs> without me, the Spin This Podcast is useless. Without the Spin This Podcast, I am useless. And I'm Sam. Uh, <laughs> and welcome to episode 19 of the 19th chronological episode uh so it's it's been less of a while than historic wiles that we've had but we're back yeah this is like the second hiatus that we've done between episodes yeah (laughs) or no it's probably not the second probably like the the fifth hiatus yeah but this was like a lesser hiatus we've probably spent more time over the course of our podcasting careers on hiatus that yeah. we have, have actually recorded. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, uh, uh, so now uh, we're one episode away from episode 20. The which actual is a landmark, episode, yeah. Which is a landmark. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any predictions for episode 20? Uh, n- no, because I feel like um, I can't even predict if there will be a 20 or like when we'll record it. Because at this rate, yeah. we'll be recording episode 20 in like September. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Like it's hard to predict because uh, it's um, I'm not who knows what's gonna be what's gonna be uh, we don't know after the, the next holds. hiatus. <laughs> yeah, I can't even predict what's gonna happen in this episode. Yeah, yeah, because um, well, I mean, this is the free form podcast, right? It's avant garde. Yeah. It's like jazz. We don't follow you like the, jazz the template of other podcasts. We innovate. Yeah. Before this episode started. Uh, I had input monitoring turned on on both tracks, both your track and my track. Yeah. And I farted uh, and it caused like a feedback loop. Yeah. And I was just sitting here laughing just because of like, I of all the things that I was doing that were loud, that did not cause a feedback loop, but somehow like farting in the proximity to the microphone just like caused like the most aggressive feedback loop. Did you record any of it? No. Oh, damn. Nothing was re- no the input monitoring was turned on, but uh, nothing was being recorded at the time. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, I don't have evidence. For all you know, I just fabricated that story. Yeah, you could have used that like for sampling something and made some sort of uh, <laughs> of a track out of it. I sample feedback all the time, but unfortunately, n- never feedback that's been caused by uh, farting. Impromptu farting. Yeah, dynamic farting. So, uh, do you want to jump into some news and or commentary? Yeah, we can do that. Um, so the first piece of news that we had, or uh, I just kind of put there because this is another episode where I'm just kind of spinning the news we- reel, the news wheel or the news reel. I guess uh, both of them kind of work. You can uh, spin anything you want, bud. Yeah, but you can spin a reel or you can spin a wheel. But anyway, uh, 
one of them was basically one of the predictions that I had, uh, and this is just my ego wanting to vindicate myself. the article is from uh, Music Business Worldwide, which is one of the sources that I use to kind of aggregate like raw information that we can use to uh, provide commentary on. Um, although like most of the website is just like really esoteric business news, like, hey, this person has becoming uh, has been promoted to chief marketing manager at, uh, you know, Tencent in China or whatever, like stuff mm-hmm. that nobody really cares about. But every now and then they actually uh, put out something where it's like an analysis or like a, uh, you know, a report of some kind or it provides a commentary on, you know, statistics um, and actually kind of has something interesting to say about the shifting landscape of the music industry. Um, And one of them, as I said, uh, vindicates something that I said, which is that TikTok uh, now has uh, more than double the, the amount of monthly users that Spotify does. And that TikTok is actually now a vehicle uh, to promote music and in different kinds. Uh, According to the article, 63% of TikTok users say that they have heard new music that they've never heard before on TikTok. Um, They are, of course, referring to sea shanties. Uh, There's (laughs) uh, because, as we know, sea shanties are eternal. Uh, They are the epitome of music and. um, everything that preceded sea shanties uh, was a logical step towards sea shanties. So, yeah, but uh, no, but seriously, um, it was about time. Yeah, Those it's about time that they come back. Yeah, but I mean, uh, now I think that this is uh, this like kind of provides like some branching off topics because I kind of wanted to talk about some of the theories that I will have concerning TikTok. And that yeah. is that TikTok will basically be used to create like astroturf campaigns for music. Like yeah. I already have this conspiracy theory. Like all the other conspiracy theories theories are boring because everybody talks them to death. Like JFK, 9-11, like those are all like <laughs> established conspiracy theories. My favorite conspiracy theory was that uh, Olivia Rodrigo's um, uh, driver's license was astroturfed by Disney on TikTok. Um, and ah. it was not a, uh, a genuine campaign. And also, uh, probably the numbers were fudged as well in order to make it seem more popular than it was in order to cause like a feedback loop, which kind of created its own artificial popularity and kind of caused it to skyrocket to number one. Now, this is not yeah. a conspiracy theory that I exclusively pioneered, but uh, it is one that... Um, uh, people were blaming Disney, but I think it was uh, not only Disney. I think it was also uh, just a kind of like cross-platform uh, AstroTurf campaign. But uh, well, that's my that... conspiracy theory. I don't, I'm not sure if there's any of, the, any of it is based on actual fact, but uh, yeah. it's fun to have conspiracy theories. Yeah, I'm, I'm about it. I, I can see that happening. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do agree with like TikTok is now a very, you know... It's a music promotion platform as uh, as much as it is many other things. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of interesting. And, like, you know, you have people like Lil Nas X, or obviously, like, uh, Old Town Road was, like, his giant, giant hit. And yeah. that was a big part because of TikTok. The more interesting way of thinking about a platform is how it kind of contextualizes the content rather than uh, the content itself. Um, so TikTok... Uh, you know, people can do dances, they can do their own videos, they can do like little kind of performance art. 
and that the medium it's like the uh, marshall McLuhan, right the medium is the message uh whereas youtube is a video application right so when people go to youtube they're kind of thinking about it in terms of like here's a video that i'm watching you know that has been kind of pre-prepared like it's content but it packaged in a different way right yeah whereas people go to spotify just to listen to their playlists and stuff like that it's it there's a different kind of contextualization to the that's platform true. right that's true yeah yeah i think that's very interesting uh i i gotta get myself on tiktok i gotta you know i gotta get my music on there and then hope some dumb dance catches on to like <laughs> you know pseudo classics I feel like, I wonder if there's like an avant-garde TikTok, like where people are doing like really kind of cool shit. Like I'm trying to remember that um, there was like a viral marketing campaign, but it was like, uh, um, it was oh yeah, it was like pronunciation book or something like that. Do you remember this uh, uh, no, viral I, marketing campaign? I do not remember this. Well, there was like a pronunciation book or something like that. Uh, what they did was like they had certain words and they like said out loud what the pronunciation was. But like, for some reason, like it got like really crazy to the extent where it was like, they would say a word uh, and they would say like the context of what the word, like they would use it in a sentence. And then they would say like, something is going to happen in 25 days. <laughs> and so it started to get like really weird and, and like uh, really kind of strange, but it ended up just being like a stupid viral marketing campaign. Yeah. Um, but people thought like, um, Hey, like this actually gets people's attention because, uh, you know, people are thinking that it's going to be some kind of big profound thing that it's uh, working up to. So I wonder if that's going to be like, people are going to start using more kind of subtle ways to market their shit rather than just like, uh, you know, releasing like dance stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I guess. I, I just don't know how I can benefit from this system that is already not working for me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, you that's, know, SoundCloud that's, is not a place where people listen to music, but TikTok is a place where people will listen to music. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of ir ironic in a way. Yeah, I wouldn't really know how to utilize the platform either. Being a, a musician and like marketing your own stuff, like if you can master those two skills, uh, you're good. But like, it's really hard to do both. Honestly, it's hard yeah. to think in like two different. Like, it's hard to possess those two. Like, one is a very kind of creative idealistic mindset the other is like uh more pragmatic not to say that marketing can't be creative but marketing is like very kind of pragmatic yeah and like yeah it's like hard to reconcile those two like ways of thinking but it's like you're kind of like expected to know how to do both because like if you can only do one like if you can only like make music then like yeah. you know odds are you're just gonna be relegated to obscurity <laughs> like both yeah. of us yeah security is yeah Obscurity isn't the worst, but it'd yeah. be nice to only be in relative obscurity. Yeah, yeah, true. You know, like I have a little bit of listenership. Yeah, this is why people hire like people to do marketing, right? Because it's kind of their yeah. like forte, right? Yeah. So uh, coming soon, the marketing department to spin this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> because right now it's just us and we have no fucking idea what we're doing. Yeah, we forget to use the social media most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. This is why people get hired to like use social media. Like that that whole idea was kind of considered pretty uh, absurd yeah. uh not too long ago, but now it's like people make their living just like posting on Twitter. Yeah. 
I live to post and I post to live. <laughs> okay, well, the other one, uh, the other piece so wait, of Wait, wait, one second. I have a question okay. for you, Aiden. Sure, go ahead. Is music becoming devalued? That is the, the whole point of the next uh, piece of news that I wanted to put in, which is uh, it, it's also an opinion piece. Um, I don't know. It's from New Statesman, which I, I is not a outlet that I typically aggregate any like commentary from, which is, can Bandcamp save the music business? Now, we've talked about Bandcamp already, right? Both of us use Bandcamp, right? Yeah. And we both like kind of like the way that the platform works in a sense yeah but like um yeah i'm not entirely sure if if like Bandcamp has like long-term like viability like as a as a way of like selling music maybe as like a platform to like listen to music but like yeah i don't know it depends like it's uh i feel like some artists can really like thrive off of it i think that it's cool that you can sell uh you know uh physical music like merch you can do all that yeah. stuff but um i mean most of it i would say is probably on you know, like a pay what you want kind of basis which is it's cool that you can kind of customize how you want to sell your own music yeah i think that like i've i mean i've only kind of really dabbled with hosting my music on there and then uh i'm more considered an app where people would listen to music like i don't i at least in my experience i haven't had many people purchase and then download my music but even then like when the whole thing is basically listenable for free mm -hmm. why would you want to buy it you know like i don't mind if people are just there to stream it and it yeah. doesn't it doesn't doesn't have a limit on how much i can upload to it unlike soundcloud so it's kind of useful in that way as well yeah i mean i guess it's it, it's good because it's like a um it's a platform that you can put it up that you can like directly monetarily benefit from. Like, whereas yeah. like with SoundCloud and YouTube, it's all about licensing, right? I mean, um, yeah. you're, you're putting it up there and you're hoping that, uh, you can monetize that. So and then, can like, earn pennies on the Yeah. And then earn pennies on the dollar from whatever, uh, uh, performing rights organization represents you. Right. But it's like, I think it's cool that Band Bandcamp actually like lets you get paid directly. And I think that that is a new new thing that actually makes Bandcamp like a little bit better than other platforms in a way. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean like it's kind of hard because like I'm kind of just at the point where it's like, do people really make like a viable living off of like selling their recorded music? Like, is it actually like the actual value of recorded music just because of how easy it is to access has like gone down <laughs> substantially yeah. like on aggregate. Yeah, I I wouldn't I don't know if I've been buying as much music as I would if these kind of things weren't as easily accessible. Yeah. There's definitely been certain musicians where like they you know, sometimes it's someone I'm following on SoundCloud or maybe it's an actual band to some extent. Uh but trying to to seek out their music to be able to buy it. Mm -hmm. Uh or just something that I don't know if I can listen, if it, you know, there's a lot of SoundCloud musicians that'll have something up there, and then when they run out of space uh, on their their free account, they'll take it down, and then that shit's gone forever. Yeah. So certain like artists that I really like and want to support, I want to be able to find the physical music for that sense. Like there's some SoundCloud musicians that I followed years ago, 
where I'm like convinced that I'm the only person in the world that has that track now because I found a way to download it. Yeah. Like from, from our perspective, what's the easiest way to like access music, right? It's like, uh, do you, do people really like download like files anymore and put them like I do, right? Yeah. <laughs> because I, I don't even uh, like, I don't know. I just never quite got into streaming. But like, uh, so Bandcamp is kind of like a useful platform for me. I'm, I'm kind of wondering, is like Bandcamp just like kind of uh, trying to kind of recreate the kind of like post Napster era where like uh, people were like buying music off of iTunes and shit, except for with yeah. like, uh, instead of like established artists uh, with smaller artists, um, and like maybe I mean like, but I'm not sure. It's like by and large, are is like the regular person really like downloading files anymore? I don't think so. Like I think that eventually right. that is just going to evaporate. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like I, if I'm selling something on iTunes, odds are it's probably already on Spotify. Yeah, to be listened to for free. And, and that's and I'm wondering like what is the like because uh, the value that people get from a stream on Spotify is like so so low right um that like i'm wondering is like should there be a point where music just like doesn't become like a commodity anymore like it's like where people just kind of expect to like try to like get their um and i'm just talking about recorded music because this is like a debate that we actually had (laughs) in music industry arts is like should recorded music just not be a commodity at all okay what's like um, I, when I'm talking about alternative revenue streams, I'm talking about like, you know, should you expect to to uh, garner most of your revenue from live music, for example? Because that's right. kind of like what like established artists depend on as opposed to like just, uh, you know, recorded revenue. Like a lot of these artists that uh, uh, that had been, you know, in, especially in the top 40, like the really established artists. Like they like they really took a hit during the pandemic because they couldn't tour, right? Yeah. yeah. What do you mean as music as not a commodity? Like like recorded music, as in like uh, you know you're basically you, it's basically for free. Like it's like basically it's the like, world's once you've put it out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I kind of like that idea. Uh, I feel like there'd be a lot more creative shit in the world. Like if a movie, you know. Uh, if they're you know independent creators even using real songs instead of what they can find that's uploaded to the public domain yeah and i think uh, one of the reasons why i think this is more applicable to recorded music is because uh like digital files and stuff like that is all ephemeral right like you can make copies of it and you could create like millions and millions and millions of copies of it and it's like really hard like I know that the DMCA like really tries to do a hard, you know, tries as hard as it can to like reduce the amount of copies that people make by making it like illegal and stuff like that. But yeah. that doesn't stop piracy. Right. Right. <laughs> but like even regardless of that, like, you know, people still, uh, you know, benefit hugely from piracy. Like I remember like back when uh, Game of Thrones was on HBO. Right. Yeah. It, it still made like millions of dollars, despite the fact that it was like the number one pirated show because the same people were also buying uh or they're they're contributing money to hbo right yeah 
Yeah, well, that's just a theory that I have. Like, it's it's different with other things, right? Like, I think that it's not like as easy to like decommodify like food, whatever or whatever, right? At least not at this point in in yeah. our you know history and development as a species. But like, I mean, stuff like this, I feel like is more apt for you know decommodification, right? Yeah, I I guess the main thing with music not being a commodity is uh for like the people that you know famous musicians that are at a certain lifestyle or a certain like you know music needs to make money for like recording studios to exist and shit like that yeah true uh and distribution and shit you know or else oh yeah no one will know of these musicians to go to the concerts where they make the money yeah true i and i'm not saying like music like those people wouldn't make money i'm saying that like the actual digital files wouldn't be like or the digital files or the stream or whatever it wouldn't be like exchanged right it would be like so like the value of it would be like so like small or like insignificant as to like almost be the the value of the individual experience right would be right. like so undervalued like like so let's say if you could pay like a set subscription and this is basically already exists with like Spotify and stuff like that yeah basically pay like a set uh, uh per, like subscription and then you basically listen to whatever music you want right that's kind of basically all what's basic what's already it's happening, jazz o'clock right? by the way yeah what's that it's jazz o'clock by the way. Oh, uh, maybe, yeah, yeah. You had to know this. I did have to know this. <laughs> uh, like, what, I, I'm guessing kind of what you, uh, an analogy, if everyone in the world had to pay, like, a SOCAN fee. Yeah. And then it kind of goes into, like, like, we get taxed for music. Yeah. But then it's, like, universal music at that point because everyone can listen to whatever, they can own whatever in terms of like digital files and stuff uh and based on gathered like if you could figure out how many times a file was downloaded and have that tracked in the socan fee and then distribute the royalties accordingly yeah i guess yeah i guess the better question would be has this already happened kind of in a way is like yeah because um i feel as though like i already said the 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 actual process of like exchanging money for like a particular item in music has kind of uh, fallen to the wayside right it's it's more so like i i pay like a certain subscription and then i have access to literally whatever i want right yeah and this is basically applies to other things as well like films like television right because it's all streaming right yeah it would be kind of cool if that was like if that eventually applied to like other things as well, right? Because like eventually, if we develop like an abundance of certain things, right, you would technically have to decommodify those things as well, right? Yeah. Like if you just paid like uh, a tax uh, or like some sort of, you know, yeah, like basically like you paid a tax, you were just like basically provided all the food that you essentially wanted, right? That'd be yeah. pretty sick. That would be interesting. Because I feel like money is kind of becoming pointless anyway. Like, it's all digital. Yeah, money's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the value of it isn't like... I mean, I wouldn't say it's entirely subjective, but it is It is subjective in a way that it requires like a central authority in order to give it any value. Yeah. 
All right. Well, that's basically the entire <laughs> philosoph- philosophical music discussion. That was basically all about Bandcamp. <laughs> yeah. This one time at Bandcamp. Oh. No, I I know what you're talking about. I was I was expecting you to this this I, one I time at Bandcamp we decommodified all music. All right, let, let's take that again. This one time at Bandcamp, and then you'll go. We decommodified all music, all art. So I have one piece of news, or you could call it McCart news. And then this is where you would play the McCart news intro that I still haven't made yet. Uh, And then... (laughs) That's it. I'll jazz it up a bit. Uh, So uh, a documentary series uh, was released on Disney Plus called McCartney 321. Uh, I've only seen the first one and a half episodes, uh, but it's basically Paul McCartney with uh, Rick Rubin, I think, uh, who's like a, you know, producer uh, in the industry. Oh, yeah. Rick Rubin's like Like a huge producer. He's he's like the guy. He's like probably the biggest, probably like the most successful producer in the world. Yeah. So two very like knowledgeable music people. Uh, and they're going through just like random tracks that McCartney wrote throughout his career, like, um, uh, you know, t- talk about Sgt. Pepper's and stuff like that in the first album and or in the first episode. Uh, and they're talking about like, just uh, I, you know, his his experience with the Beatles and stuff. I imagine it'll get into like his solo career in in future episodes. There's six episodes, and they're like each like a half hour piece. Um, so if you are someone that is a fan of the Beatles and McCartney and music that they made then that's probably a show that you would watch on disney plus i actually did see the uh, preview for it because i have a disney cuss uh, disney disney plus uh subscription a disney cucks prescription <laughs> disney cucks <laughs> yeah i'm a disney cuck uh yeah, we all are yeah unfortunately uh but uh no i mean like uh i saw it and it actually looked kind of interesting i might watch it but i mean i i don't tend to watch a lot of like music documentaries to be honest with you yeah i mean despite my, my previous knowledge of the music industry like i mean i don't know i, I mean it, it seems some of it seems kind of interesting but uh i'll say not 90 percent of this is mccartney just sitting in a room with rick rubin and just talking and like in front of like a levels mixer board and just like turning up different tracks while listening to them and stuff okay actually um, I did watch some of uh, I watched something similar to this where um, it was Tony Visconti talking about uh, David Bowie, like David Bowie oh, yeah. songs and his process. I think he was talking about the process to create uh, heroes. So okay. uh, does it does it do he do the same thing where he kind of like isolates different part and explains like yeah. how they came up with that line and stuff like that? Yeah. Or? Yeah. And then uh, and then he'll like tell like little stories of, you know, how certain ideas came about or certain chords and in songs and shit like that oh yeah actually that's that is kind of interesting i mean even though that uh um uh i'm not like a huge paul mccartney fan well i mean like i don't dislike paul mccartney but uh, yeah well i'll say so far it's a lot of just beatles stuff so even if you weren't the hugest huge biggest you weren't the biggest beatles fan you would know all these songs just by reputation oh yeah yeah do they ever talk about uh the og um uh, uh Fuck, I just like blanked out. Herbert Best. <laughs> Herbert Best. 
did they ever talk about uh um uh fuck why am i blanking out on this guy's name it's like he's so george important. martin yeah do they ever talk about sir george martin yeah, they talk. He's every time he says George, he has to like follow it up with George Martin because he's like not talk. Like no, this was not it. Not crediting this specific anecdote to George Harrison, not yeah. George Martin. Yeah, <laughs> so he's come up quite a bit so far. Oh, George Martin was like, uh, I would say that he was a genius. But uh, I mean, like as I said, I'm not a huge uh, Beatles fan, but uh, yeah. I would say that the contributions that he made. Uh, we're not like only influentials in the context of the Beatles, but also in- influential to uh, rock, uh, pop, uh, and many other genres as well. So, yeah, yeah, especially on uh, Sgt. Pepper, Lonely, Heart- Lonely Hearts Club Band, uh, you know, Revolver, all those kind of uh, uh, mid-career to late-career albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So watch it if you want. Don't watch it if you don't. Sounds like uh, a plan. Sounds like a perfect... Yep. Yeah. It <laughs> makes everyone happy. Compromise. Did we Joe Pass or Joe Smash? Yes. Yes! Yes! <laughs> Joe Pass or Joe... What am I going to say? No? Yes. What if I just said no? Like, what would we do? I would derail the whole podcast. It's true. I would say thank you for listening to this episode of the Spin This Podcast, a podcast where we talk about music and everything spinning in the music world. I've been Sam Dow. And I made it clear. But that didn't happen. Oh, so okay. we can. But, can we but, just like copy and paste that to be the outro of this episode? Uh, we and then can. you'll you'll say like and that's what really happened hell yeah but, brother but but you can like uh uh recreate that perfectly i bet probably but although but then i'd have to you might not be able to because that was off the cuff and so you weren't really thinking about it and so you weren't like self-analyzing yourself. yeah there, there's a naturalness to it that was unachievable otherwise okay well i'll copy and paste then okay <laughs> Okay. Uh, so the first track of Joe Pass and Joe Smash, uh, should we talk about uh, a little uh, the our sheery, sheerful Ed, Ed uh, the Ed Sheeran one? Yeah, you can go ahead because uh, um, I uh, I think I've probably contributed a, a lot of rambling to the past few topics. So you can begin okay. so that I can uh, uh, yeah. rest rest my uh, your vocals uh, jaw muscles. So. Yeah. So this one, I'll admit, I haven't listened to the whole thing of it. And when I was in it, I was I skimmed around a bit. I think I've, I feel like after a little bit, I really just, I got the point of it. Yeah. And I'm like, that's enough. <laughs> I, you know, Ed Sheeran, I, I know he has that song, The Shape of You. Uh, and people fucking love that one. Uh, and I vaguely know that one. And I, all I can say is this is No Shape of You song. I thought like it was catchy, the the kind of electronic-y, simple kind of backing thing. I can see it being catchy and people listen to it, but it kind of didn't do anything for me. And I didn't, I wasn't really like, the. I watched it with the video, which was a bit distracting. So maybe if I hadn't watched, or if I just listened to it without the video, I would have been able to get into it a little more, but I just found myself kind of like not too interested in it. Okay, well... 
Um, I, I came at this from a, I, w- I would say mostly similar perspective, but uh, I would say that uh, of the, uh, I don't want to say Ed Sheeran is necessarily of like the old guard of pop music before like more interesting <laughs> pop artists began to like uh, crop up and actually like made pop like listenable in my opinion. But uh, I think that for me, Ed Sheeran has always been kind of like a, a not he's always been kind of like just in the background of the pop world. Like he's never been like uh, he's had like huge songs, obviously, but he's never had like. Uh, an enormous level of like gravitas to him. Uh, like I've always thought that he was best kind of as like a, a romantic singer or like a ballad singer. Uh, yeah. And that was just kind of like the role that he occupied. And then that song, uh, the shape of you came out, which uh, uh, I'm sorry, but that song just, I, I hate it. Like it's, it's, <laughs> um, it's so uncharacteristic of everything Ed Sheeran has ever done. And it seems just so artificial um, okay. And uh, this song is like similar to that. I would say it's probably a lot better in it, my opinion, but I feel like it's Ed Sheeran like kind of attempting to do the same thing. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, technically Ed Sheeran can do whatever he want. Like there's artists uh, who have gone through transformations and kind of like gone uh, in different directions and they've, you know, failed and then they've gone back to, to do something different, right? Uh, Taylor Swift, especially with a bad reputation, like the travesty that album is. Um, yeah. And then she kind of went back to more, you know, sincere uh, acoustic kind of folk origins and uh, created some actual, uh, you know, good, um, not great, but like good uh, albums. Uh, Ed Sheeran, I mean, he's... Uh, it's okay i mean like the song is like not bad uh but it's a little like generic like i feel like yeah. it's a it's a song that would have been like really successful in like the uh mid 2000s uh in the same way that the or not the mid 2000s but the mid 2010s in the same way that shape of you was yeah um and uh uh but i i feel as though in our kind of contemporary pop landscape there are artists that are doing things that are much more interesting that this song it just seems like it's already old in a way um yes. it's already been uh a, a product of like a, a past decade um, yeah it sounds like an artist I mean, trying to make 80s that. music in the 90s right yeah um but uh i mean it's I would say that it's it's not bad. The production is really good. Like there's a, as far as like a dance tune, it's not bad necessarily. It's like functional. Like a lot of these songs, like even if they're not like uh, fantastic from like a songwriting perspective, they do function well as like dance hall tunes. Uh, yeah. And so you have to like do, like take that into consideration. There is different context. And because this song is like definitely geared to be like a dance hall tune, uh, I feel like that context needs to be taken into consideration. But at the same time, it's Ed Sheeran trying to like uh, sell us on a persona that he's like is just not come natural to him. Like it's yeah, the same way that it, he's it, doing with uh, with the Shape of You. So it felt <laughs> kind of it feels awkward even for Shape of You, Ed Sheeran. Like it just yeah. seemed weird. Like if you seen I, I the video, really, yeah. It, the I've th- that's what I'm like. What I was I meant like I don't know if the video is just distracting me to make it feel a little more just kind of you know not into it but it just seemed so uh like he was trying to have a bit of a persona about it yeah like what kind of bad habits does ed sheeran have (laughs) yeah like is this song really like 
I feel as though like it's a uh, it's just the artifice of like uh, of wanting to be of wanting to have like a bit of a, a bad boy side. Whereas like that like Ed Sheeran, uh, like I, I don't want to say this necessarily because like as I said, artists can like naturally uh, develop and have like different personas and stuff like that. But I don't know. I feel like this is so out of Ed Sheeran's lane that he should just kind of like maybe consider like sticking to like. Uh, um, dancing in the dark, like those kind of like ballads, yeah. Because uh, yeah, <laughs> this is just like it's so awkward uh, from a from that perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I give it a Joe Pass. Uh, I give it a Joe Pass as well. Okay. So next up, we got a track from BTS. Yeah. Uh, called "Permission to Dance." Uh, I'll say this is the first BTS song that I was listening to that I could identify as BTS because I could I saw the title. I've probably heard BTS before on a, an algorithm, but this is the first time I knowingly listened to BTS. Yeah. Didn't realize that they sing in English sometimes, I guess. Like, this song was all in English. I don't know if that's a typical song for BTS or if sometimes it's like... I think so. Okay, so... Yeah. I I didn't know that they sung in English. That was uh, something I learned. Um, I thought it was fun. I uh, I didn't like their singing. It felt very auto tuned, and they probably have a bit of an accent in their English pronunciation, and that kind of like made the uh, the auto tune sound a little more noticeable than regular auto tune. I. Uh, but I can see it being something that gets, you know, played the hell out of right now. So I, I feel like it's probably getting well received generally. But uh, it's it's it I and I for what it is, I think it succeeds at what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really all I got on it. Yeah, I mean, like, so from this uh, for this song, like, um, speaking of uh, artifice, this is like a different uh, way. I I listened to this song and I was like, wow, I kind of want to listen to just from sheer curiosity, like a live performance of BTS, because this is definitely a song where it's like, is very production heavy. Like, uh, uh, there's, uh, lots of strings, lots of synth pads, lots of, you know, driving, uh, you know, percussion, right. All of it is like, you know, very electronic. There's definitely quite a bit of autotune. I'm not sure if that's a stylistic choice or whether that's uh, more kind of just pitch correction, but, uh, like like I, I am curious now because like it almost like the the production has like transformed the music to be something totally independent uh and i'm kind of curious just what to see like what they sound like live right because uh it's, it's kind of like when you listen to like a kesha song and then you see her perform live so, like she's like she can actually uh she's quite a competent performer live right uh, but her music itself is uh, almost like a, a, you know, a simulacra of her uh, like actual live performance. Like it's not the same thing. Like it's it's so inundated with the production and the, uh, um, you know, the stylistic nature of the recording that it's like almost takes on a, a, a character of its own. And I feel like that's the kind of the same thing with BTS. Like the the uh, recording is actually just like has uh transformed the experience to something totally different than what it would be in a live performance and so i'm actually just curious to see what they sound like live yeah uh i'm not that curious about bts anymore like i'd never heard of heard them before yeah 
uh, I think they had like, did they not have like a McDonald's meal recently? Was that? Did they? Was there not a BTS McDeal of some sort? Was that actually associated with BTS? I thought that yeah. like stood for something. Oh, okay, maybe. I think so. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm pretty sure. That's crazy. yeah. I'm. I googled BTS meal. I'm seeing the the guy with the green hair. Uh, I'm seeing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not saying that it's like I'm not saying that um it's like so overproduced that it's like wow, they're probably compensating for the fact that they're not very good performers. They probably are fine. Yeah, but I'm saying like that, they they're having fun up there. Yeah, but I'm saying like the the song like the production has like almost occupied so much of the labor time that has gone into the song <laughs> where it's like uh, it's so production heavy. Like, uh, but I would say that the orchestration is pretty cool. The pre-chorus is is pretty cool, like from a harmony perspective. Yeah. Yeah, like I don't know what I expected from BTS. So whatever my expectations were, this I would say it did surpass them. They, they are, it's they sound like whatever whether they are good performers or not, a well crafted product for what it is was made. Uh, and the fans probably are going nuts over it. Yeah, and um, like I, I don't think it's bad necessarily, but uh, um, like you know, I, I've I've probably said most of what I uh, have am equipped to say about this song. Um, for those who are not aware, we literally literally listened to this song <laughs> before uh, starting the podcast, and we like so it's in in that way there's like the recency effect of uh of it being like fresh in our minds yeah but there's also uh the fact that we've only listened to it once um uh, and in most cases like for some of these songs like um once is kind of enough because you can kind of take in everything that you want um and uh in this case i feel like that's probably the case like uh bts are a boy band uh they and uh they don't they don't really necessarily sound like boy bands of the past like you know i'm thinking of like in excess or like uh um uh the backstreet boys like they do yeah. have a their own uh uh style to their music and it does sound very kind of like sunshine pop like very a little more optimistic a little a little less focused on like sexuality and stuff like that yeah but uh yeah but i mean you upon listening to it you glean everything that you need to know <laughs> yeah i'll say i liked it better than the ed sheeran one yeah. I I think it was a huge step up. Like I assume this is kind of a typical sounding BTS song. At least I'm just assuming. I'm making assumptions. Yeah. I assume that this is kind of like what they're good at, like this style of song and it seemed like it was a good uplifting song, so Yeah. You know, it's a solid BTS hit, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> I'm no expert on BTS if I would make that clear. Yeah, it's interesting too because um the songs, the two songs that we reviewed were kind of different in a lot of ways because I feel as though uh, BTS is about, uh, you know, um, their, their, their songs sound like very happy, very optimistic, very kind of focused on uh, dance. Whereas like, uh, you know, Bad Habits is kind of more um, like a like a contemporary like dance hall tune that you would hear at a, you know, um, at a club or something like that. Um, but it's like, it's kind of hard to imagine a BTS tune kind of being, uh, like a club tune in a way it's, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
like yeah, I, I, I feel I like club tunes have like a a little bit of a an edge to them, like a little bit of like a sexuality to them. Yeah. Whereas like this is kind of sexless in a way. <laughs> it's asexual. Yeah. Yeah. I well yeah. I'm not sure if it's yeah, but in, in a way yeah. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I give it a um a, a Joe pass. Uh, you know. Yeah, I give it a Joe Pass. I mean, just because it's like, you know, as I said, uh, it's not really like doesn't have a lot of like re-listen value. Uh, yeah. But uh, I still think the production, the orchestration, uh, uh, the performances <laughs> in to whatever degree that they actually reflect the actual performances are are competent. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's the that that qualifies the Joe Pass that I'm giving. I give it a Joe Pass, but I give an honorarium of a Joe smash on behalf of K pop stands everywhere because they're probably pretty thrilled about this. Cause it seems like it's getting good plays on YouTube and it's got a good, you know, good reception. So the, the community is, has given it a collective Joe smash, but for us it's Joe passes. Like, I don't want to shit on K pop because I'm not a K pop guy, but I'm like acknowledging, you know, K pop is a thing. In terms of what I thought, it was pretty good. It's just a pass from me. Shall we move on to some Get Wrecked Nerd? Let's get Wrecked Nerd. Get Wrecked Nerd. Wait, actually, uh, I actually don't think I have a Get Wrecked Nerd, so I'm going to have to think about this. Uh, do you have a Get Wrecked Nerd that you were thinking of doing? I do have one. Okay, well, you go ahead and I'll think about this. Okay. So, I'm going to say the name of this artist because I don't know if I'm saying his last name right. Harry Nielsen, I think is pronounced. Uh, the reason I'm qualifying that, I think that's how it's pronounced, is the album would probably be called Nielsen Schmielsen. Oh yeah, I uh, so I uh, he's this is from the seventies. This album, um, he's kind of uh, I, I, uh, one sec. I'm I'm just like pulling up my notes here. Harry Nilsson, right? Did you did you send me a Harry Nilsson tune? Was I he did. from the Birds? I uh, I think he's just like an independent artist. Oh, okay. um, I remember reading about him where it said. He was one of the most successful musicians that, of that kind of independent musicians of that era without having done live shows. Like it was kind of tough to be successful, uh, you know, without doing live music, but he was just a recording artist. Oh, okay. That's cool. His most famous song, which is on this album, uh, he does that. You put the lime in the coconut and drink it all together. Oh, yeah. Okay. He, that, that, you know. That's uh, I remember hearing that song in the end credits of, uh, I think Reservoir Dogs. Hey, um, uh, but this is all like the whole album is pretty, you know, interesting, kind of good seventies tunes. Uh, I'm as far as I know, he is kind of responsible for recording the entire thing, um, for the most part. Like I, he's like the creative person behind everything, obviously, but. Um, I think he probably also did a lot of the producing and stuff. Hmm. Uh, I'll cut that if I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, 
So there's a song called Jump Into the Fire, which I don't know where I've heard it before, but uh, is a really fucking dope rock song. It's like, uh, I, I want to say it's like, uh, like seven minutes long, almost on the album. But it's uh, got a br- really cool like uh, effects with the vocals and like uh, a re- uh, reverb and or echo to it. Uh, that makes it just so fucking satisfying, and it's like just such a fun, good rock, uh, kind of vibe. Hmm. Uh, it was apparently used in a pivotal scene in the movie Goodfellas. I haven't seen it though. But yeah, oh, yeah. I, I recommend this this album. I recommend this artist. He's got some other songs from other albums that I would recognize. You'd probably recognize a couple songs on this album just from uh, exposure to his music and in kind of uh, pop culture and stuff like that. Um, but uh, Harry Nielsen is the is the guy's name. The album is Nielsen Schmielsen. Okay, well, um, I think uh, I'll definitely check him out. Uh, I um, I. As I said, I didn't really prepare a Joe Pastra smash, so I'm wondering if I should just choose something at random. Uh, I know that, so earlier on in the podcast, I did mention that I was going to uh, uh, recommend new artists. There's a few new albums that I've listened to, but I don't think that I've listened to them enough in order to like kind of talk about them accurately. Um, I'm just going to recommend an album I think I'm pretty sure I already recommended to you. Um, yeah. I started getting into Joni Mitchell recently. Yeah. And uh, I think that uh, um, Blue is the album that everybody knows, uh, but I'm going to recommend uh, The Hissing of Summer Lawns. I think it's also one of uh, Joni Mitchell's more popular albums, but uh, uh, it's kind of known for being um, uh, her uh, like dabbling in like jazz. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a jazz album. It's definitely not. It's still a singer-songwriter album, but it incorporates, yeah. uh, you know, kind of jazz music in a way that it's kind of similar to uh, uh, Steely Dan in a way that I can think. It's it's almost like yeah. a jazz uh, fusion, not jazz fusion, but like um, a jazz rock or uh, in, in that way. Uh, it's it's hard to really uh, categorize it. Um, but in addition to that, um, there's actually a lot of, uh, interesting sound work on here. Like she uses a lot of, uh, synthesizers. Um, there's this, the second song on the album that sounds really cool. It's called the jungle line and has some of the most interesting, uh, lyrics that I've ever heard in, in, uh, singer songwriter music. So okay. overall, I recommend, uh, anybody to get into Joni Mitchell, especially if you appreciate, uh, interesting, uh, kind of interesting lyrics that are like don't necessarily fall into like a uh conventional uh song structure like uh she almost goes off into like free verse and stuff like that her um a lot of her songs sound like uh a story in a way um like there are a few songs i think california off of blue and uh the song uh the last time i saw richard are like basically stories um I feel like the the songs off of uh, Hissing of Summer Longs are almost more like vignettes in a way uh, rather than stories. But some of the songwriting is just like really interesting, like the words that she uses. Like um, uh, like one of the lines is like the mathematical circus, mathematical circus of like modern life or something like that or math. And like those kind of like and just interesting combinations of different, you know, adjectives and stuff like that just like make for like a really interesting uh experience um and kind of make the actual process of listening to the 
the words themselves more um, up, like a part of the musical experience rather than just like uh, conveying something just purely based on, uh, you know, a metaphor alone. Like uh, I think it's, it makes for much more of an interesting experience. Okay. I, I will say I've listened to some tracks off this album uh, because you did recommend it to me this past week. Oh yeah, uh, and yeah, I uh, I'll definitely give the album a proper listen. But yeah, I'm I'm digging. Uh, I can see the appeal to it. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna listen to more Joni Mitchell as well. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's pretty much uh, Joe Pass Joe Smash. Um, do you get wrecked, my guy? Oh, get wrecked. Sorry. Yeah, I get them confused all the time. Um, do we have SoundCloud shoutouts or like small artist shoutouts? I shout to the void, boy, boy. As do I, and the the void shouts back with jazz. <laughs> yeah, I just thought of that as I finished that sentence. Yeah, fucking Riker. Yeah. Uh, should we wrap up? Uh, yep, yeah, that's it. Um, I think uh, you already did your outro, so. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Spin This Podcast, a podcast where we talk about music and everything spinning in the music world. I've been Sam Dow. And I'm Ian Clear. You guys say hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> <laughs>